So back in 2019, really November of 2019, I made the decision uh, to leave the parks department. I was working as the parks director for the city, and I made the decision to leave the parks department here in Stuttgart. And it was a time where Stuttgart Harvest Church, we were getting set to plant uh, the church in Malvern, and I felt like I was supposed to be a part of that. I thought it was, you know, that was God's plan. I felt really confident that that was the direction that I was supposed to go. But, but I had a problem. The problem was this. In order to do that, I had to take a $40,000 a year pay cut. Um, and so I knew that God had always taken care of me and my family. I knew that. Um, I had years of evidence to support that God was going to take care of us because he always had. In my mind, I had faith. Kind of, to a degree, right? Because, let's face it, $40,000 is $40,000. I got to eat. I got to eat a lot. Uh, I like to eat. And, and, and some of my family members also enjoy eating. So it was a pretty big deal. And, and I did in that time, during that time period, I did something that I feel like a lot of us would do. I, at least, I, it's what I did. Um, I kind of changed my path just a little bit. Uh, and I went searching for another full-time job. So I, I knew that God wanted me to leave the parks department. There was no doubt about that. I was very clear on that. And I also knew that he wanted me to be a part of what was happening at Stuttgart Harvest Church in a more intimate way and planning the church in Malvern. But come on, God, we're talking a $40,000 a year pay cut. Uh, that's, that's a pretty big step, right? That, that step might be a little bit too far for me to bridge. And so I knew what I was supposed to do, but actually doing it, uh, actually taking that step, of faith, that was another story for me. And, and so instead I went out and I, I found another full-time opportunity. And, and it was really something I really wanted to do. And I really was looking forward to it. I even got a raise out of the deal. Uh, and when I left the park, which I knew was God's plan, I kind of got a little bit lost in between, between the park and the... I got, I got lost. See, God wanted me here. And I knew that he wanted me here. And in my head, I knew that God would take care of us because he always had... Uh, but to actually act like it, you know, to actually uh, live like I knew what I knew in my head and what I believed in my heart, God will take care of us. For me to actually live that way and for me to actually take steps in that direction, um, that was, I, I blew it. There's absolutely no other way to describe it. I blew it, period. And some of you might be kind of in the same boat that I was. And it may not be a job, it might be a relationship, a friendship, an interest, it might, I don't know. Um, maybe it's in your relationship with God and his church. I, I don't know, but it's just that, it's that feeling that we believe that God is there. And we believe that God is active in our lives, and we believe that he is involved in our lives, and, and, and we believe that, but to actually act that way, you know, to really act on the belief that we have in our head and to actually take those steps of faith, that's a little bit more difficult than, than just kind of knowing and believing, to actually, you know, step. That's a little bit more complicated. And in this series, we're talking about an individual who I think can really relate to that tension. It was a man by the name of Abraham, a historical individual by the name of Abraham. Now, actually, his name was Abram in the beginning. God changes it to Abraham. I'm probably just going to call him Abraham this morning because I'm not that disciplined to kind of get it right all the way through. But Abraham was born in a place called known as Ur of the Chaldees, okay? So if you're not a history person at all, this means nothing to you. But he was born in this place called Ur of the Chaldees. And um, according to archaeological discoveries, we know that Ur was a, a real city that was located in the southeastern part of what is present-day Iraq, kind of on the Euphrates River. 
And so we knew that that's, we know that's where Abraham was born and that's where he spent the majority, the first part of his life. Um, but at, at some point in Abraham's life, later on in his life, he will actually travel with the rest of his family to a city called Haran. And again, we know from archaeological digs and discoveries, we know that Haran is actually located in what is present day Turkey, the southern part of more or less in present day Turkey. And after some time in Haran, uh, during which Abraham, and he becomes very, very wealthy during this time period. Abraham is met by God, and, and he's told, I want you to take your wife, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave this place that you've kind of established roots, and you've become, for lack of a better term, a success, uh, and I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to go somewhere that, oh, by the way, I'll, I'll let you know on the way, I'll let you know when you get there. And Abraham did it. We talked about that a little bit last week, or Harley did, Abraham chose in that moment to live by faith. He chose in that moment to act by faith, to take that next step of faith. He left the safety of home. In a time when home and family was everything, it was everything. Home equaled security, financial security, personal security, physical security. For us today, the thought of Abraham leaving home, it, it may not resonate quite like it did because for us, you know, in our culture, leaving home is kind of normal. Um, not living in the town you were necessarily born and raised in, that's not unusual. But 4,000 years ago, roughly 4,000 years ago when Abraham lived, um, this would have been a terrifying step. But Abraham did it. Uh, at this point, Abraham's a rock star when it comes to his faith. His faith has actions. It has legs. He takes that step. And as we talked about last week, God also made a covenant. He made a promise with Abraham. And God said, I'm going to take on 100% of the responsibility, Abraham. You don't have to do anything except follow me. He said, and if you do that, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. I'm going to make your name great and well-known, historically speaking, which, by the way, God did do all those things. I'm going to bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you, and I'm going to bless the entire earth as a result of you which we talked about last week, was a prophecy. It was a kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus. Now, this is kind of where we're at today, though, because I'm not a nuclear physicist. That was a joke. I thought that would get a chuckle anyway, because maybe, maybe I do look like a nuclear physicist. Maybe y'all are like, you know, in his side time over on the weekends, he's over here doing whatever, nuclear physiology, whatever. I'm not a nuclear physicist, okay? I'm not a scientific rocket, so to speak. Um, you'll get that in a minute. But uh, Abraham's got a problem. At this time, Abraham's got a problem because if you're unfamiliar with the historical account, you might miss it. But if we look in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, we find out pretty clearly that Abraham's wife named Sarah, her name's going to be changed to Sarah. I'll probably call her Sarah a lot. Um, she's unable to get pregnant and has no children. So um, you see the issue that we have here. You see the issue that, that is going on with this whole covenant, this whole promise, and how this is going to work itself out. How in the world is God going to make Abraham the father of many nations when he doesn't have any children? He doesn't have a son, a daughter, an heir. He has nothing. Quite the quandary. Abraham has this promise from God, but he has no children to follow through on the promise. And he's an old man at this point, and Sarah, his wife, is an old barren woman. She, she cannot have children. Medically, she can't, she can't do it. So as we move into this morning's narrative, we're just going to set the scene. We have Abraham. He's 75 years old at this point. Sarah is 65 years old. They're both in a strange land, and there's a promise on the books that Abraham's offspring will become a great nation. God has promised it, but 
as we jump into the narrative, they're doing it all. Supposedly, this is all going to happen without an heir. And Abraham's 75, Sarah's 65. She has no kids. She can't have kids. I mean, God has made a promise, and the promise is very clear. Uh, the, pro- the covenant that God has made with Abraham is very clear. And in fact, God has said, I am taking 100% of the responsibility to follow through on me. You just follow. God says, I'm going to do all these things, Abraham. You just follow me. Something's got to give, right? I mean, if we look at this thing through rational eyes, something has to give. See, at this point in the story, at this point in the historical narrative, Abraham has to be thinking to himself, well, looks like God's got a problem here. Looks like God's got a problem, and and we have a solution. That's where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Where it says, again, we're told again that Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Hagar. H-A-G-A-R. Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. In other words, maybe this is how God's going to do it. Maybe, you know, God's made this promise. Maybe he needs a little boost, right? Maybe this is how God's going. Maybe this is the plan. Now. And I've been guilty of this. Don't judge Abraham and Sarah too harshly at this point in the narrative. Because when we look at this through our culture's perspective, this kind of looks a little taboo, right? But it's actually relatively common in their culture. Uh, In fact, in many instances, it was kind of expected that if a woman could not have children, then she would kind of have a surrogate. It's, it's, It's somewhat expected. So try not to judge them too harshly at this point. It says that Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, takes Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened um, 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So when Abram is about 85, uh, Sarah's about 75, this is when all this is going down. So Abraham, according to verse 4, Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she becomes pregnant. So Abraham and Sarah, they, they think that God has a problem. So they located a solution. It's like, you know, problem-solving 101 in their eyes. And I've done it before, too. I have been guilty of something similar to that. Um, You know, again, like I told you guys earlier, I left a job that I knew I was supposed to leave, but instead of continuing on with God's plan the way God had it all laid out and I was pretty confident about it, I took a detour because, hey, $40,000 a year pay cut's a tough pill to swallow. And I just don't see how that's going to work out. I don't see how God's plan and this G and Hall, right? Uh, I had a problem. I needed to find a solution, and I did. It turned out to be the wrong solution. I'm in the same boat here. Genesis chapter 16, verse 15, we find out, so Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael, and Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So we have 86-year-old Abraham have a son, Ishmael. Finally, problem solved. Problem solved. We have an heir. Abram's Lineage is safe. The promise, the covenant, it's good to go. We've got it. Check, check. Right? Move on. This has to be God's plan. That's what it looks like. He had promised Abraham that he was going to become a great nation. He was going to become a great nation of descendants. No children. How was that to be? This has to be God's plan. He he just, again, he needed a little help. God needed a little boost from Abraham and from Sarah. So, We're going to kind of jump forward in the narrative, jump forward in the account. We're going to jump forward about 13 years. So kind of like put your, you know, fast forward button. Can you, I don't think you fast forward anymore. I don't guess do that. But VCR, you know, fast forward. We're going to fast forward 13 years 
in the future. Uh, and so now we have Abraham, we have Sarah, we have Hagar, we have Ishmael, we have everyone in Abraham's household. They have now been living in this place that God told him to go, Canaan. We know of it better as Israel. They've been living there for about 24 years now. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. And once again, Abraham has another encounter with God. This is actually the third time that Abraham has gotten a re, uh, re confirmed the covenant. We pick it up in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless, complete uh, life. And he says, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. And at this point, and this is reading between the lines maybe a little bit, but you've got to think that Abraham has to be thinking in this back and forth. Yeah, right, exactly, God, I got it. The covenant, you've already told me about it before. You're telling me about it again. Yes, I am the covenant, the promise. Uh, God, you had a problem there. The plan wasn't clear, but hey, I handled it. I took care of it. By the way, God, I don't know if you have seen my son, Ishmael, 13 years old. Good-looking kid, if I do say so myself. I took care of the issue that we had several years ago. God, we are good to go on the covenant. Everything's good. At this, Abram falls down on, uh, fell on his face on the ground. And then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. Third time we have this. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham's got to be, yeah, I got it. Got it handled. Not a problem anymore. What else? Then God says, once more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. Abraham actually translates the father of many nations. And I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations. And kings will be among them. Which, by the way, it all happened. All of these promises that God has made, these covenants, it all happened. Uh, we know historically that all of these things happened. There are mountains of evidence to support that God follows through on his promise. Mountains of evidence. And God says, I'll confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God. And the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner. Where I told you to go, you know, 24 years ago. This area, this chunk of land, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to your descendants. And it will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. So here for the third time, Abraham receives confirmation of the promise. Confirmation of this covenant that we talked about last week. And now he has an heir. All's right with the world. But wait. There's more because as we jump into uh, verse 15, we find out that there's some more information. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarah. From now on, you will call her, she will be Sarah. I'm going to change her name to Sarah H. Abraham's probably got to be thinking, okay, cool. God, interesting. You've added an H to both of our names, which, by the way, we don't have time for, but there's a really interesting uh, point there with that H. That H is very significant. We don't have time for it. And, you know, you know, go this week and do some reading on it. But um, cool. So we've added an H. We've changed our names, Abraham and Sarah. Then God drops the bomb. Now remember, 
at this point, Abraham, he's gone out on his own. He's secured in his mind his lineage. He's taken care of the problem that in his mind God had. God has a problem. I've got to fix the problem. I fix the problem. But as we're about to see, God has had other plans from the very beginning. Because according to verse 16, God says, and I will bless her. Bless who? Sarah? I, Sarah? I will bless her and I will give you a son from her. Wait, 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 wait. God, hold on. Wait a second. You're going to give me a son with her? God, have you seen her? Are, are you kidding me? God, she, she's so old. I mean, are you sure? Uh, are you going to bless her with youth? Because I'd be okay with that. I mean, God, God, are you sure this is right? With her? We're talking about the same Sarah. Don't you remember, God? I've already taken care of that. Remember Ishmael? 13 years old, good-looking boy. God says, yeah, I will bless her richly, and she'll become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. And that, that actually happened. But Sarah, really? I mean, she's so old. She's 89 years old at this time. She's childless, not by her choice. I mean, she medically... Can't have children. And here's God. God is making another very, very clear promise. I mean, this thing is crystal clear. This one's going to require a miracle. This is going to have to be a miraculous birth for it to happen. But don't miss this. God, Abraham believed God. Don't, don't miss the fact that Abraham believed God. As unrealistic and as unlikely as this might have been in his mind, Abraham believed that God is who he says he is and will do what he promises that he's going to do. And God said that he was going to provide Abraham a son through Sarah, as unlikely as it might be. In Abraham's head, in Abraham's heart, Abraham believed that God was going to come through. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Now, as best we can tell, this is actually more of a laugh of amazement. This is like, I can't believe it. This is, I don't, I don't know how, but apparently so. I don't know how this is going to work out. Abraham doesn't understand it, but he believes it. He believes it's going to happen. And then, to me, this is one of the more interesting exchanges in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Because it's almost like in that moment, Abraham comes to his senses, and it's like he remembers Ishmael. Oh, what about Ishmael? You've got to remember, Ishmael's 13 years old. This is, all Ab this is Abraham's son, 13-year-old son. And we know that because in verse 18 it says that Abraham, Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. Said another way, God, can Ishmael be included in the promise? Can Ishmael play a role in the covenant? God, I know that I went outside of your plan, but can you find room for my son Ishmael in the plan? Is there room? God's response is pretty clear. In verse 19, God replied, no, no. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for, uh, for you, and you will call him Isaac. You will name him Isaac. Isaac actually means laughter. You will name him Isaac. And then God very clearly says, and I will confirm my covenant with him and with his descendants as an everlasting covenant. 
So this covenant that God had originally made with Abraham 24 years ago in Genesis chapter 12, reconfirmed in Genesis chapter 15, it follows Isaac. It doesn't follow Ishmael. Abraham's trusting that God is who he says he is, will do what he says he's going to do. And once again, God keeps his promise because in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, we find out that the Lord did keep his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this happened at just the time that God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. So Abraham, 100 years old. Sarah, 90 years old, childless for all of those years, but God made a promise. God made a covenant. God said, I'm going to do this. Abraham witnessed God follow through on his promise. He saw him. God said he would. I believe him, and doggone if he didn't do it. All's right with the world. We move into Genesis chapter 22. When things get a little bit tricky. When things get a little bit complicated. That's when Abraham gets his, I want you to take a $40,000 a year pay cut moment. Except it's a lot more serious. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. says sometime later. Now, we don't know exactly how many years later. But there, there's a lot of evidence. There, there's a lot of scholars that really, really believe that um, probably it's safe to assume that somewhere between 30, 32, 33 years have passed at this point. Genesis chapter Between Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 and Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Uh, it's a good chance Isaac's probably 31, 32, maybe 33, possibly, years old. Abraham's around 132, 30, 133 years old. We don't know that, but very possible about 30-some-odd years have passed. It says that sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith, and he said, Abraham, and God said, yes, here am I. It's almost like in this moment God says to Abraham, Abraham, I've done all these things. I, I, I've done all of these things for you. I've made you all these promises, and I've followed through on all of them. Abraham, do you trust me? Abraham, do you trust me? Verse 2, God says, take your son, your only son. You say, wait, 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 wait a second. Only son. I, I, what about Ishmael? Where's Ishmael at in this? Well, see, this is important. For, for reasons that only God knows, in God's eyes, Isaac is Abraham's only son. Ishmael does not play a role. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. Sacrifice him. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I, wait, seriously? Sacrifice him. Are you kidding? This whole time, all of these years, Abraham has waited on a child. All of these, in fact, it was so impossible that this was going to happen, that Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands, which produced Ishmael, which was not a part of the plan. It wasn't supposed to be how it went down. All of these years, all of these things, all of these chess pieces, all of these jigsaw puzzles have been put into place at exactly the right time, in exactly the right place, with exactly the right people. All of these years. And now, after all of this, God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son, whom Abraham loved. First time love is ever mentioned in the, in the Bible, by the way. But, you'll notice, by now, Abraham has kind of learned his lesson. Abraham has made some mistakes along the way, but at this point, 
Apparently, Abraham's belief, Abraham's faith, Abraham's head knowledge and heart knowledge in God is going to allow him to take an unbelievable step of faith, an unbelievable action step. Abraham's head faith in God, his his heart faith in God, it's going to be ratcheted up to a level that honestly I I don't get, I I don't know. It's pretty amazing. Abraham's faith moves into action. And it's that step of faith that really illustrates our bottom line this morning. Our bottom line this morning is this. Each step that we take in our journey of following Jesus, that's the proof of our faith. That's the proof that our faith is alive. Each next step that we take in our journey of following Jesus. Genesis chapter 22 verse 3, we find out that the next morning, Abraham doesn't wait the next week. He doesn't wait a month. He doesn't wait a year. Abraham... The next morning, Abraham gets up, he saddles his donkey, he takes two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. He chops wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and he sets out for the place that God had told him about. The next day, they go. And then according to verse 4, it's interesting, on the third day, third day, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looks up and he sees the place in the distance. So you ask yourself, how can Abraham do what he is about to do? This is his only son, the one that was promised. This is the key to the covenant. This is the key to the covenant, the promise that God had made for Abraham decades before. Isaac is the key. How can he do it? How could Abraham do this? Abraham trusted God. Abraham trusted God so much that he was willing to take, a, take that next step. See, I think it's interesting. The moment that Abraham rose that morning, three days earlier, the moment he got up, and the moment that he takes that very step on the journey that he knew was going to end in the death of his son, in that moment, Abraham's faith has fruit. There's proof that what he believes is really what he believes because he stepped out. He took the next step. It had action. It was a living faith. But again, how? I I, I still, we can say that all we want. How could he do it and how could he, how? How could he take that step? How could he believe God and trust God so much? I think it's interesting. Very interesting, actually. Um, See, Abraham knew. Abraham knew that God had promised that the covenant was going to happen through Isaac. Because of that, Abraham knew that Isaac had to have children. And to this point, Isaac doesn't have any children. So from Abraham's point of view, and this is the faith of Abraham. From Abraham's point of view, well, God's got a problem. Abraham doesn't have a problem. God's got a problem. See, God has made a very clear promise. And he has never failed to follow through on one got evidence to support God follows through on his promises and God has made a very clear promise to Abraham regarding Isaac so Abraham says God's got a problem for this if this happens see Abraham just decides this time I'm just gonna let God figure out the details so amazing in the new covenant book of Hebrews it's really more of a more of a a sermon than it is a book but um, the writer of Hebrews makes what I think is a very eye-opening point We find it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, talking about this event. Abraham reasoned 
Abraham reasons. Well, if Isaac dies, God's going to have to bring him back to life. See, Abraham reasoned that, well, if I follow through on what God has told me to do, that for God to follow through on his end of the covenant, his promise for God to do what he promised me that he would do, God's going to have to have Isaac alive. There's no two ways about it. It has to happen that way. Because God had promised that the covenant would follow Isaac. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. You see, when Abraham left his tent three days earlier, with his son and with his servants and all of the elements to the sacrifice, in his mind, Isaac is as good as dead. In his mind, Isaac is as good as dead at this moment. But Abraham went anyway, knowing God had a plan. Because God had made a covenant, God had made a promise, and it was very clear. And that promise required Isaac. Couldn't happen without him. And Abraham trusted God. See, faith is not simply coming into mental agreement with God about something. It's not possessing some type of a magical head knowledge about God. Faith is actually confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he promises that he's going to do. And then living our lives accordingly. Taking steps accordingly. God is who he says he is. He's going to do what he promises he's going to do. He's made these promises. He's going to follow through. So I'm going to live my life with that in mind. That's authentic faith. Even when we don't know how, even when we don't have all the answers, which is often. And that's how Abraham could take such a drastic, in my eyes, step. Abraham's faith went so far beyond just mental agreement. He actually takes a step. He actually, his faith has action. He takes a step. Because each step that we take in our journey of following Jesus, that's, that's the proof that our faith is alive, each step that we take. Um, kind of staying in the New Covenant, Luke actually, the, uh, the physician, the, the gospel writer Luke, he, he tells us of an encounter that Jesus had with a leper very early in his ministry, very early. Um, and, and Jesus encountered this man, and this man was in the advanced stages of leprosy, meaning he had leprosy top of his head to bottom of his feet, and he was covered. In fact, leprosy in the ancient world was so feared was so feared that this man, when he would come into an area where people were, he would have to alert people of his presence by saying, unclean, 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 unclean. This man would have been the marginalized of his society. This man was an outcast in his, his society. And Luke tells us that this man approaches Jesus, which would have been very difficult for this man to do, not only because it would have been physically very painful, but, but, but again, he was an outcast. He was the marginalized of society. He was an outcast. To come out into public would have been a very, very difficult thing for this individual to do. Um, and Luke tells us that when this leper sees Jesus, he falls down on his face and he makes this statement in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Lord, which that Lord, that's just really a title of respect. Lord, if you are willing, if you're willing to do it, you can, and I probably should have underlined can, you can heal me. And make me clean. That's, an, uh, that's authentic faith. Not, Lord, I believe you will, I believe you will, I believe you will, I believe you will. But don't, don't miss this, Lord. I have a level of authentic faith that I know. If you're willing to do it, you can do it. I know you can do it. I don't know if you will. Uh, just because I ask, I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I don't know, but I know that, Jesus, you're, you can do it. 
How could this man have such confidence that Jesus could heal him? Not that Jesus would heal him, but that he could heal him if he chose to. Because I think it's really, that's not what we'll spiritualize it. This man knew Jesus' story. He knew Jesus' reputation has preceded him. This man knows that Jesus has healed people. This man knows Jesus has done this. There's evidence to support the fact that Jesus can heal me. I don't know if he will, but I know he can. There's evidence to support it. And Jesus replies, according to Luke, he says, I'm willing. So let's kind of break that down to today. Does your faith have action? Does my faith have action? Or is your faith just more of a series of mental agreements with God? Where you just say, I believe he will, I believe he will, I believe he will. Or is there proof to your faith? Is there fruit? Does your faith produce fruit? Does your faith produce proof? Are there steps? See, because of what the leper had seen and what the leper had heard, the leper was very confident that, Jesus could do for him what he needed done. He didn't know if he would, but he knew he could. And because of what Abraham had seen, and because of what Abraham had heard, and because Abraham had been promised something very, very clear from God, God uh, Abraham was confident that, well, if, if Isaac's dead, God's going to raise him from the dead because he's got to have Isaac. See, authentic faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and will promise or will do what he promises that he will do. And because we have evidence that God keeps his promises, because we have mountains and mountains and mountains of evidence that God has followed through on all, all those old covenant promises uh, that God made to Abraham, he came through. Because we have evidence that God keeps his promises, our faith shows action. We take steps. You know, it's almost like it's almost like every day, maybe multiple times a day. It's almost like God asks me the question when it comes to my faith. I mean, I've, I've been given this gift of salvation through Jesus, and it's, it's through grace, and I don't deserve it, and, and it comes through faith. But it's, it's like multiple times a day, it's like God asks me the question, Cole, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do, Cole, do you really, do you trust me? I'm not saying, Cole, do, not do you think I'm real? Do you think I'm legit? Do you think I'll do it? But, but Cole, do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me with your family? Do you trust me with your finances? Do you trust me with your friends? Do you trust me? Really trust me? That's kind of our question this morning. Do you trust him? See, we can verbally agree and we can say, yeah, yeah, of course I trust God. Yeah, of course I trust. It's God. What's not to trust? Yes, I trust God. We can verbally agree. But do you trust him enough to take the next step? Do you trust him enough so that your faith shows action? Because each step that we take in our journey of following Jesus, that's the proof that our faith is alive. I have absolutely no idea what step you need to take next. I have no clue about what step you need to take next. But I do know this. You need to take it. I know that. Uh, your, may, your next step may be 
for the very first time, you're making the decision to say, Jesus, you're the boss. You're the boss of my life. I was in charge. I was running the show. But now, Jesus, you're the boss of my life. I'm putting my faith in you and you, you and you alone. And I'm on your side. I'm with you. That may be your next step. I have no idea. I have no idea for the people who are watching us online. That may be your next step. Your next step may be that you have done that before. You've said, yeah, I've made Jesus the boss of my life, but I've never gotten baptized. If that's the case, that's your next step. If you've become a follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized, that's the next step. I don't know. Maybe your next step is you need to become more deeply connected with this church by joining a serving team. That may be your next step. It's time for you to start serving. You're a follower. You, you, not that you have to be a follower of Jesus to serve. You can serve anytime. But maybe that is your next step. Maybe it's time to serve. Maybe your next step is to make a commitment. Hey, when they start signing up for small groups in January, I'm in. I'm going to be a part of a small group. I'm going to be a part of that community. That may be your next step. I don't know. Maybe your next step is you need to become a giver or an outrageous giver. I don't know what your next step is. I know what my next step should be. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe your next step is to go on a mission trip. Maybe your next step is to fish your pond. Maybe your next step is to invite that friend or that coworker or that family member to be sitting next to you in our plush, comfy theater-style chairs. Maybe that's your next step. You need to start fishing that pond that you've got. We've all got a pond. Maybe it's time to start fishing it. I don't know. Maybe your next step is to get help with the addiction that you're battling, privately or publicly. Addiction's hard. Addiction's hard. Maybe that's your next step to get help. I, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea what your next step is. I have no idea what anyone watching us, I don't know what your next step is. But I do know this. I do know this. You have one. You have one. Because God is never finished taking us deeper in faith. There's always a next step. Because we never stop growing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking you to take everything that we've done this morning and use it for your honor and your glory. Help us to be strong enough and enough courage, God, to take whatever the next step is. Everyone in this room and watching online, our next step is going to be different. But God, help us to be willing to, to act on our faith and to actually take that step and to, and, and to have a living faith for you. And it's in your son's name we ask these things. Amen.